तदेकं स्मरामस्तदेकं हजामः तदेकं जगत्साक्षिरूपं नमामः सदेकं निधानं निरानंबमीशं भवाम्बोधिपोतं शरण्यं व्रजामः ओम शान्ति 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 On that alone do we meditate, that alone do we worship, to that alone the witness of the universe do we bow, to that one who is our sole eternal support, the self-existent Lord, the raft to safety across the ocean of samsara, do we come for refuge. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. Today's topic is on the harmony of religions. In the hymns of the Rig Veda, which we can say is the oldest extant scripture of humanity, of humankind, uh, various deities are praised. Swami Vivekananda points out how each deity is elevated for some time to the status of the supreme being, the supreme deity. He says, take for example Indra. In one hymn we find that Indra has been given a very high position. He is omnipresent and omnipotent, and Indra sees the heart of every being. So with Varuna. This Varuna is god of the air and is in charge of the water, just as Indra was previously. And then, all of a sudden, we find him raised up and said to be omnipresent, omnipotent, and so on. Then Swamiji goes on to give the explanation of this curious fact. He says, the peculiar fact that these gods are taken up, as it were, one after the other, raised and sublimated till each has assumed the proportions of the infinite personal god of the universe, calls for an explanation. The explanation is there in the book, and it is a grand explanation, one that has given the theme to all subsequent thought in India, and one that will be the theme of the whole world of religions. Ekam sat viprabhudhavadhanti. That which exists is one. Sages call it by various names. This is, of course, uh, a famous line, perhaps the most famous line, at least the most well-known line to us from the Rig Veda. One of the most oft-quoted lines. It's from a long hymn of 52 verses, the 164th Sukta of the first mandala. And this is the, uh, 60, uh, the 46th verse. So it's uh, the the sukta is somewhat obscure. Parts of it are difficult to understand, but this verse is extremely clear. The meaning is extremely clear. Indram mitram varuna magni mahurato divya sasuparno gurutman ekam sadvipra bahudhavadan tyagnimya mamata rishwanamahu. They call him Indra, Mitra. Varuna, Agni, or the heavenly sunbird, Garutmat. 
The seers call in many ways that which is one. They speak of Agni, Yama, Matarishwan. Swamiji extols this verse. He points out how in the oldest scripture of humanity we find the key to understanding the worship of different gods, the key to understanding how to harmonize the different religions. And he notes that it's, uh, it will become the theme of the whole world of religions. It is not that there are different gods, as Swamiji says. The being perceived was one and the same. It was the perceiver who made the difference. It was the hymnist, the sage, the poet, who sang in different languages and different words the praise of one and the same being. And Swamiji traces the ideal of harmony, of toleration and acceptance, which is so much a part of the Indian mind, to this verse. That which exists is one, sages call it by various names, Tremendous results have followed from that one verse. India is the only country where there never has been a religious persecution, where never was any man disturbed for his religious faith. Theists or atheists, monists, dualists, monotheists are there and always live unmolested. Materialists were allowed to preach from the steps of Brahminical temples against the gods and against God himself. They went preaching all over the land that the idea of God was a mere superstition and that gods and Vedas and religion were simply superstitions invented by the priests for their own benefit and they were allowed to go unmolested. All that we owe to this one verse. Swamiji goes on to say, we have yet to learn that all religions, under whatever name they may be called, either Hindu, Buddhist, Mohammedan, or Christian, have the same God. And he who derides any one of these derides his own God. Interesting point. He who derides the God of someone else's religion derides his own God because they are one. The idea of the harmony of religions is, of course, intimately connected with Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda and with the Ramakrishna order, we can say this is Sri Ramakrishna's special contribution, the ideal of Dharma Samanvaya, one of his special and unique contributions. Of course, many students of Vedanta and even monks of the Ramakrishna order come from different religious backgrounds, Hindu, Christian, Buddhist, Jewish, Muslim, and Jane, and uh, yet none have to give up their religion as they become followers of Sri Ramakrishna. So today I want to discuss some different aspects of the idea of harmony of religions. It is a crucial endeavor because although to us it seems like a settled fact, in much of the world is still uh, torn by interreligious strife. Strife between different religions, between 
Muslims and Jews and Christians and Hindus. And moreover, often between strife between different sects of the same religion. So we have inter, we need inter-religious harmony and also intra-religious harmony. And in fact, the worst antagonism sometimes seems to come, it seems to be between different sects of the same religion, between Protestants and Catholics, between uh, Shias and Sunnis, between Shwetambaras and Digambaras in the Jain tradition. So let's talk about some of the different attitudes that, that we can hold towards other religions. The first one we'll take up is called exclusivism. The attitude of exclusivism is my religion is right and your religion is wrong. That's exclusive. Exclusivism. It's a widespread view, although we can say less so now than it was 200 years ago. Sri Ramakrishna used to condemn this attitude. All the time he was hammering on it. Everybody thinks his own watch tells the right time, he would say. And in Sri Ramakrishna's time, there were no atomic clocks, no internet time. So nowadays, if we have an argument about whose watch tells the right time, well, we just go and check the atomic time and say, well, the official time is like this. They didn't have that in those days. So it was even more of a beautiful example that... uh, People would have their own watches. And my watch tells the right time. They would argue about it. So like that. Sri Ramakrishna was talking to Kali, the Divine Mother of the Universe. He said, Mother, everyone says, my watch alone is right. The Christians, the Brahmos, the Hindus, the Muslims, all say, my religion alone is true. But Mother, the fact is that nobody's watch is right. Who can truly understand thee? But if a man prays to thee with a yearning heart, he can reach thee through thy grace by any path. This is one of the qualities, I think, of an immature mind. An immature mind is one that has to see things in black and white. It's either true or it's false. It's either hot or it's cold. There's no room for warm. There's no room for gray. And we find this most clearly in fundamentalism, which is not restricted to any particular religion, by the way. Fundamentalism, we can see it it comes up partly as a reaction to what is perceived as a marginalization of religion by mainstream society and also a perceived increase in immorality, so taking refuge in this fundamentalism. There was a fascinating, I had a fascinating experience with a medical assistant who was a fundamentalist Christian, very warm-hearted man, very nice, and we had big discussions uh, while I was going to this office about religion, and he was absolutely certain and convinced that if you were not, if you did not accept Jesus, you were going to go to hell forever after you died. That was his firm conviction. And yet he was very warm also. He said, no, you're also uh, created in the image of God. I have to love you. and I have to try to save you. I have to try to convert you. <laughs> now, the, the, most fasc- the most fascinating thing about this man is he was from Iran. And he had been a Muslim. And he had been a fundamentalist Muslim. He was certain that 
Islam was the only true religion and that other people were doomed to uh, damnation for eternity. And then he moved to this country and somehow he became converted. But he didn't change at all. He was still a fundamentalist. He still thought his own religion was the only true religion. Only the religion itself was, had changed from Islam to Christianity. And he belonged to a very small church. And I asked him, I suppose you think that your small church has the most true interpretation of Bible and all that? Oh, yes, definitely. He accepted that. So this is the uh, curious thing. Swami Vivekananda says, the one great advantage of bhakti is that it is the easiest and most natural way to reach the great divine end in view. Its great disadvantage is that in its lower forms it oftentimes degenerates into hideous fanaticism. All the weak and undeveloped minds in every religion or country have only one way of loving their own ideal, and that is by hating every other ideal. So how to combat fundamentalism? It's almost impossible, like trying to drive a nail into a block of granite. Swami Vivekananda used to poke fun at such people, but with sharp barbs. He would say, here is a man in America, born 1900 years after Christ, who does not even belong to the same race as Christ, the Jewish race. He has not seen Jesus or his family. He says, Jesus was God. If you do not believe it, you will go to hell. We can understand how the disciples believed it, that Christ was God. He was their guru, and they must have believed he was God. But what has this American got to do with the man born 1900 years ago? This young man tells me that I do not believe in Jesus, and therefore I shall have to go to hell. What does he know of Jesus? He is fit for the lunatic asylum. This kind of belief will not do. <laughs> Again, he, he said, If a man comes to me and says, A prophet disappeared into the air and went through it, I have a right to see that. I ask him, Did your father or grandfather see it? Oh, no, he replies. But 5,000 years ago, such a thing happened. And if I do not believe it, I have to be barbecued through eternity. <laughs> what a mass of superstition this is. We can say there is hope, though. There is hope, and I'll relate the story of a student of Vedanta who visited our monastery in Trabuco uh, some years ago. He had been a fundamentalist Christian from Georgia, and he went, uh, he visited Turkey, and he saw all these beautiful young Muslim children, and his heart was really touched to see the, their pure faces and the joy with which they were playing with each other, and he couldn't reconcile his conception of a loving God with the thought that these children, simply because they weren't Christian, would be doomed to uh, be roasted in hell forever. He couldn't reconcile that, and fortunately for him, it was his dogmatism which broke. And he became afterwards open-minded and a student of Vedanta. So, there is hope. The second attitude which uh, members of religions have towards other religions is called inclusivism. 
Now, inclusivism says that my own religion is alone is true. My own religion is the only true religion. But other religions, they may have some truth in them, and they're more or less included in my religion. We can say the current doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church falls somewhere in this between exclusivism and inclusivism. According to the official doctrine, Christ is the only way to salvation. But somehow, by the grace of Christ, the Christ grace, in other religions, some people may have the chance of getting <laughs> salvation also. And uh, mm, it's a great step forward because before Vatican II, where they instituted a lot of reforms, the idea was that those persons who are outside the Catholic Church are destined to spend eternity being tortured in hell because they cannot possibly be saved. And that includes Protestants. That includes other Christians. The Protestants thought the Catholics are doomed to hell and the Catholics thought the Protestants doomed to that eternal barbecue. So mm, at least now other religions may have some elements of truth and some hope for salvation. And uh, the Catholic theologians write these big treatises, scholarly treatises full of big explanations and references to scriptures and previous theologians and all that, and it's to defend these what seem to us like crazy ideas. And we are tempted to laugh at this because these ideas seem so childish and immature. But perhaps we should weep because these, how much suffering do these narrow-minded uh, ideas bring into the world? We should note that many members of the Catholic Church do not hold these extreme views. At least in this country, I've come in contact with many practicing Catholics who are not at all uh, dogmatic like this. And uh, in fact, the many Catholics are actively involved in the interreligious movement and interreligious dialogue. Now, the third attitude we'll take up is the attitude of pluralism. This holds that all world religions are true, revelations are many, and there are several paths to salvation or liberation. This is the attitude taught by Sri Ramakrishna and established by him in modern times. This, the root of this attitude can be found, of course, in the uh, verse from the Rig Veda that we discussed earlier. But we can say it was really firmly established in this age by Sri Ramakrishna. His famous maxim, Jato Mat, as many faiths, so many paths. Which, incidentally, is not found in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. It's uh, discussed in Sri Ramakrishna, the great master, the Leela Prasanga. This exact formulation we don't find in the Gospel. As many faiths, so many paths. Sri Ramakrishna discusses this again and again. In the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, we find so many beautiful parables. I think most of us know them. We could almost just give them out by name. The tank and the ghats, 
and uh, water. The water is called water or pani or aqua, but it's the same stuff. The fish, mother cooking the fish for her children. She cooks fish pilau for some and uh, fish soup for others, depending on their power of digestion. Similarly, God has provided for different religions for the, for the different people. The chameleon on the tree, some men got into a big argument because uh, they found a, a green lizard on the tree, but then someone else said, no, it's red, and someone else said, no, it's blue. It was a chameleon. So only the man who lives under the tree knows that, knows that it's all these colors. And sometimes it has no color. Reaching the roof, you can take the stairs, or you can use a ladder, or you can climb up by a rope, or climb up on a bamboo pole. The thing is to reach the roof. This creed of uh, as many faiths, so many paths, is a unique creed. Not part because it is not based on philosophy, not based on scripture, not based on uh, thinking about these ideas and discussing them. No, it's based on Sri Ramakrishna's direct experience. It was not a doctrine, we can say, but a discovery. He uncovered this truth. And this is all the more remarkable considering the very orthodox environment into which Sri Ramakrishna was born in the rural village of Bengal. I read a, a little conversation of Sri Ramakrishna. Once Radhika Goswami, a Vaishnava scholar, visited Sri Ramakrishna at Dakshineshwar. And in the course of conversation, Sri Ramakrishna said to him, At Vrindavan, I myself put on the garb of the Vaishnavas and wore it for 15 days. I have practiced the disciplines of all the paths, each for a few days. Otherwise, I should have found no peace of mind. Smiling. I have practiced all the disciplines. I accept all paths. I respect the Shaktas, the Vaishnavas, and also the Vedantists. Therefore, people of all sects come here, and every one of them thinks that I belong to his school. I also respect the modern Brahmagnanis, referring to members of the Brahmo Samaj. Now, M notes that uh, the Goswami did not respond. He kept si- sitting there silently. And uh, afterwards, Sri Ramakrishna sang some Vaishnava songs. Then he told the Goswami, I have sung these songs to suit your Vaishnava temperament, but I must sing differently when the Shaktas or others come. Here people of all sects come, Vaishnavas, Shaktas, Kartavhajas, Vedantists, and also members of the modern Brahmo Samaj. Therefore, one finds here all ideals and attitudes. It is by the will of God that different religions and opinions have come into existence. God gives to different people what they can digest. The mother does not give fish pilau to all her children. All cannot digest it. So she prepares simple fish soup for some. Everyone cherishes his own special ideal and follows his own nature. And we know that even Muslims and Christians also used to come to Sri Ramakrishna. And the fascinating thing is that, as he himself mentions, whoever came to him would think that he was one of them. Why? Because he was one of them. He had practiced their religion. He had practiced all in so many of the different streams that are uh, form the Hindu religion and also 
Christianity and Islam. Later, after the Goswami had left, Sri Ramakrishna said to the devotees, Why should I be one-sided? The Goswamis belong to the Vaishnava school and are very bigoted. They think that their opinion alone is right and all other opinions are wrong. My words have hit him hard. Smiling, one must strike the elephant on the head with the goad. That is the elephant's most sensitive spot. <laughs> Some uh, musical accompaniments. <laughs> so Sri Ramakrishna, he, he, I'm, I, I was very amused to see how he says, my words have hit him hard. He used to, when bigoted people like that would come, he would try to just give this idea that to think that one's own religion is the only correct one is, is just, is not the right attitude. I'd like to uh, discuss for a moment what the idea, what pluralism is not. Pluralism, this attitude of as many faiths, so many paths, does not say all religions are the same. This is a fairly common misconception. I have heard this idea expressed from time to time. This uh, idea could be called indifferentism, that basically all religions are the same. Now, it's a different thing to say all religions are paths to the same goal and to say that all religions are the same. There was an article which appeared a few years back in Hinduism Today, which stirred up quite a bit of controversy. And the author, who was a Western convert to Hinduism, he considered himself a convert, and we know that oftentimes the converts to a religion are the most fanatical. Uh, he uh, <laughs> argued, uh, he, he, in his, arg his, his article he noted that many children of Hindu parents in the United States end up marrying non-Hindus and then end up converting to the religion of their spouse. And when the parents feel bad and complain and say, what is this? They, the children fire back. But mom, dad, you always said that all the religions are the same. You always said it doesn't matter what religion you follow. So he, this author, was criticizing this idea. And he unfortunately laid the blame on Swami Vivekananda, which is why this was a controversial article. He fully misunderstood Swamiji. He misunderstood the idea of the harmony and understood it to mean only that all religions are the same. But there is some truth here because I think some people also misunderstand the ideal as meaning all religions are the same. All religions are true. They are all paths leading to the divine. But they are different paths, and they are suited to different people, as the fish is, fish pilau is suited to those with strong digestion. So, in the pluralistic approach, we recognize that there are differences among religions. Each religion is a unique path. Swami Vivekananda also calls us to recognize diversity first. First, see the differences. First, see the diversity. Then, look for the unity in diversity. 
Now, pluralism is also not toleration, not merely toleration, as Swami Vivekananda says. Not only toleration, for so-called toleration is often blasphemy, and I do not believe in it. I believe in acceptance. Why should I tolerate? Toleration means that I think you are wrong, and I am just allowing you to live. Is it not a blasphemy to think that you and I are allowing others to live? Swami Vivekananda calls on us to learn from other religions while sticking to our own. He said, and this was at the Parliament of Religions on the closing talk, the Christian is not to become a Hindu or a Buddhist, nor a Hindu or a Buddhist to become a Christian, but each must assimilate the spirit of the others and yet preserve his individuality and grow according to his own law of growth. Swami Vivekananda himself admired and learned from other religions. He was a great devotee of Lord Buddha and a great student of Buddhism. And we know that for a time the imitation of Christ was one of the most important books for him. He carried it around with him along with his copy of the Bhagavad Gita during his wandering days. And he loved the ideal of brotherhood which is found in Islam. And he felt that that was necessary for Hinduism as well. But religion is not to become a hodgepodge, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. The uh, Sri Ramakrishna's example of digging for a well perhaps is apropos in this regard. If a man or a woman wants to dig for a well, dig a well for water, and they start digging and they hit a bed of sand. Oh, it's slow going. Let's dig somewhere else. So they change to another place and start digging there and they hit gravel. And oh, it's very hard to dig through gravel. Let's try over there. And so they start digging there and they, they run into clay. Uh, so they give up that place. They never get water. So similarly, if we start on one path and then sure enough, the going gets a little tough after some time in spiritual life. We give up that path and we say, well, let's, this path is not suited to us. Let's try another path. We're, we're never going to get very far. Sri Ramakrishna's case was entirely different. He practiced different religions, but he practiced after realizing. He first uh, had the direct experience of the Divine Mother. He became fully illumined. And afterwards, he practiced different spiritual practices and different in different paths and different religions and found that all the practices of those different religions led to that same experience of illumination. Holy Mother makes an interesting observation about Sri Ramakrishna's practice of the different religions. One of the monks asked her, Mother, is it for the establishment of the harmony of all religions that the Master came this time? The Holy Mother replied, Look here, I never felt that he practiced all the religions with the intention of teaching the harmony of all religions. He was always immersed in God consciousness. He followed all the disciplines, those of Christians, Muslims, Vaishnavas, etc., for the sake of God-realization, and he enjoyed the divine Leela 
the divine play in different ways, entirely unconscious of how time passed. But still, do you know, my dear, in this age renunciation has been his specialty. Has anyone ever seen at any time that kind of spontaneous renunciation? What you have said of the harmony of religions is also true. So she recognizes, of course, the importance of his message. But she felt that it wasn't that he set out to prove the harmony of religions. It was a discovery that he made. Swami, I'd like to read a passage from Swami Saradananda's biography of Sri Ramakrishna discussing how he discovered this truth of the harmony. The Master came to have an intimate understanding of the present lack of spirituality in the country and the prevailing intolerance among religions from the contacts he had with people at Dakshineshwar and during his visits to holy places. He dived deeper and found out that although all religious doctrines were equally true, and although they help people of various natures to reach ultimately the same goal through various paths, the previous teachers were either ignorant of this truth of the unity of all religions, or they intentionally refrained from preaching it, considering the place time and persons to be unsuitable for such teaching. Moreover, it dawned on him that this attitude of his, free from the slightest touch of exclusiveness or hatred, was an entirely novel thing in the world. It originated with him, and he was to give it to the world. Many of us have now come to understand that this most liberal doctrine, namely, all faiths are true, as many faiths, so many paths, which has charmed the world, first emanated from the Master's lips. Unlike other teachers of the past, the Master excluded nothing from any faith. He practiced with equal enthusiasm all of them in his own life, reached the goal as indicated by those faiths, and realized that profound truth. Sri Ramakrishna would never criticize any other religion, any uh, any different religions. He would never criticize. Even those sects, there were some sects in India practicing left-handed tantric practices which generally led to immorality and the downfall of the, the seekers. Even those sects, Sri Ramakrishna would not condemn. Swami Vivekananda recalls, never a word of condemnation for any. Once I had been attacking one of our sects of diabolists, I had been raving on for three hours, and he had listened quietly. Well, well, said the old man as I finished. Perhaps every house may have a back door. Who knows? That much. <laughs> Swami Vivekananda <coughs> included this principle in his rules for his monastic order. For the, There's a little booklet of rules for the monks and uh, Two points in this rule book I'd like to read out, specifically pertaining to this. If the ma he writes, if the master has repeatedly commanded us to renounce anything besides lust and gold, it is the limiting of the infinite aspect of God by saying he is this much only. 
whoever will try to limit the infinite aspect of God in this manner is a despicable fellow and a hater of God. Very strong language. Keep in mind, he's writing this for the monks of the Ramakrishna order. Mm. To criticize another sect is saying that, well, God is, is, is limiting the infinitude of God. So he says, anyone who tries to limit the infinite aspect of God is a hater of God. Very interesting. We'll take up now a fourth attitude towards other religions, which we can say is, goes beyond pluralism, called, perhaps we can call it universalism, which is the view that there exists a set of universally valid religious principles common to or unifying all religions. The term universal religion, it has several meanings. Traditionally, it has meant a religion which is universal is one which is open to all people, all humanity. Those religions are religions like Christianity, Buddhism, Islam. Anyone can become a Buddhist, anyone can become a Muslim or a Christian. As opposed to um, religions which are restricted by birth or race or caste, like Hinduism, Jainism, uh, Judaism, Zoroastrianism, religions like that. Now, we can, we, sh- we can note that Swami Vivekananda made Hinduism also a universal religion. But we're not going to talk about th- that meaning of universal religion. Swami Vivekananda discusses universal religion, a kind of eternal religion, which is the religious consciousness of all humanity, of which the different religions are but different aspects. I'll read a uh, section here from Swami Vivekananda. The second idea that I learned from my master, and which is perhaps the most vital, is the wonderful truth that the religions of the world are not contradictory or antagonistic. They are but various phases of one eternal religion. That one eternal religion is applied to different planes of existence, is applied to the opinions of various minds and various races. There never was my religion or yours, my national religion or your national religion. There never existed many religions. There is only the one. One infinite religion existed all through eternity and will ever exist. And this religion is expressing itself in various countries in various ways. Therefore, We must respect all religions and we must try to accept them as far as we can. It is clear that Swami Vivekananda is here speaking from a higher level. He he can see that behind all these various sects and religions which seem to be so contradictory, there is something unifying them all. What is it? Perhaps we can call it the principle of the reality of the divine. The truth of the potential divinity, the potential divinity of every being and the fact of the struggle to manifest, to realize that divinity going on in every human heart. Every human heart is struggling 
to manifest the divinity within, knowingly in some cases or unknowingly in most cases. And different religions are just different approaches to that struggle. Swami Vivekananda also uh, gives the idea of universal religion as existing here and now, that universal religion is the sum total of all the different religions. He says, What then do I mean by the ideal of a universal religion? I do not mean any one universal philosophy or any one universal mythology or any one universal ritual held alike by all. Just as we have recognized unity by our very nature, so we must also recognize variation. We must learn that truth may be expressed in a hundred thousand ways and that each of these ways is true as far as it goes. We must learn that the same thing can be viewed from a hundred different standpoints and yet be the same thing. Through high philosophy or low, through the most exalted mythology or the grossest, through the most refined ritualism or arrant fetishism, every sect, every soul, every nation, every religion, consciously or unconsciously, is struggling upward towards God. Every vision of the truth that man has is a vision of him and of none else. He retells his the parable of the tank, Sri Ramakrishna's parable of the tank. Suppose we all go with vessels in our hands to fetch water from a lake. One has a cup, another a jar, another a bucket, and so forth, and we all fill our vessels. The water in each case naturally takes the form of the vessel carried by each of us. He who brought the cup has the water in the form of a cup. He who brought the jar, his water is in the shape of a jar, and so forth. But in every case, water and nothing but water is in the vessel. So it is in the case of religion. Our minds are like these vessels, and each one of us is trying to arrive at the realization of God. God is like that water filling these different vessels, and in each vessel the vision of God comes in the form of the vessel. Yet he is one. He is God in every case. I think these similes and parables are very important because they give us some kind of concrete example of how the idea of uh, harmony amongst religions can be true. It seems like a very um, intangible thing that Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, they're so different. But well, if we have some concrete example, well, what about a lake and Some people take water from that lake and they call it Pani. And other people take water from another spot and they call it Jol. And other people take water from a third spot and call it Aqua. And mm, some people take it in a a jug. Some people take it in a leather bag. Some people take it in a bucket. So do they have different things in their containers? No, they have the same thing. And it takes a different form and it has a different name but the essence of it is one and the same thing.
then Swami Vivekananda says, and that universal religion about which philosophers and others have dreamed in every country already exists. It is here. As the universal brotherhood of man is already existing, so also is universal religion. Which of you that have traveled far and wide have not found brothers and sisters in every nation? I have found them all over the world. Brotherhood exists, only there are numbers of persons who fail to see this and only upset it by crying for new brotherhoods. Universal religion, too, is already existing. If the priests and other people that have taken upon themselves the task of preaching different religions simply cease preaching for a few moments, we shall see it is there. One point that I have struggled with uh, in the, this idea of harmony of religions and in the process of interreligious dialogue is the position of Buddhism and the question of Buddhism. In most Buddhists would probably feel still a little uncomfortable with the language we are using today. We are saying all religions are going to the same goal, the same water in the different vessels, and that water is the divine. But Buddhism is a non-theistic religion. They don't accept the idea of God. Swami Vivekananda said at the Parliament of Religions, How then can the Hindu, whose whole fabric of thought centers in God, believe in Buddhism, which is agnostic, or in Jainism, which is atheistic? The Buddhists or the Jains do not depend upon God, but the whole force of their religion is directed to the great central truth in every religion, to evolve a God out of man. This helps the Vedantists. This helps us to understand Buddhism, no doubt. The Buddhists and the Jain are striving for perfection, striving for freedom, for liberation. They are evolving what we consider to be the divinity within, or as some the then Buddhists will say, the Buddha nature. But much of our interfaith dialogue is theistic. The words God or the divine or even the ultimate reality many Buddhists will feel uncomfortable with such language. This may boil down to the, the divide between the personal and the impersonal. The impersonal reality, most Buddhists, not all, will accept some idea of impersonal reality with a capital R. Sri Ramakrishna's parable of the ocean and the icebergs may give some clue for us he says, Satchidananda is like an infinite ocean. Intense cold freezes the water into ice, which floats on the ocean in blocks of various forms. Likewise, through the cooling influence of bhakti, of devotion, one sees forms of God in the ocean of the Absolute. These forms are meant for the bhaktas, the lovers of God. But when the sun of knowledge rises, the ice melts, it becomes the same water as it was before. Water above and water below, everywhere, nothing but water. The Dalai Lama, who is the head of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, has been very active in interfaith work, and he has written a book about it. And in his book, his solution to this difficulty is to emphasize 
the commonalities among the ethical teachings of the world's religions. We find if we study the different religions, if we study their theology, we'll be utterly confounded. They're so different. We study the philosophy of the different religions, so vastly different. We look at the spiritual practices of different religions, we find some commonalities, but also some big differences. If we study the mystics, how the mystics speak, we there also we can find a lot of similarities. Sri Ramakrishna says, all jackals howl alike, meaning that the God-realized souls speak in the same language. But even there we find some will speak in theistic terms, some in impersonal terms. But if we, we find they converge most completely in their ethical teachings, the basic foundations of spiritual life, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, etc., etc. We find all religions emphasize these principles. So Dalai Lama uh, finds this to be a route for interreligious understanding, to emphasize the, the commonalities of the ethical teachings and especially compassion, that all religions enjoin their votaries to practice compassion. What also is needed in interreligious understanding is uh, an attitude of humility, a feeling that I don't know about other religions, that yes, I know that God is there, but in, in Buddhism I, I don't know. And if Buddhists can also say, I know that the, there's no such thing as God, but, uh, but I don't know other religions, well, I, I don't know. This kind of attitude, Sri Ramakrishna says, do you know what the truth is? God has made different religions to suit different aspirants, times, and countries. All doctrines are only so many paths, but a path is by no means God himself. Indeed, one can reach God if one follows any of the paths with whole-souled devotion. Suppose there are errors in the religion that one has accepted. If one is sincere and earnest, then God himself will correct those errors. If there are errors in other religions, that is none of our business. That is none of our business, he says. God, to whom the world belongs, takes care of that. Our duty is somehow to realize God. The interreligious dialogue movement is quite strong and it's growing, and we can say that it actually started in 1893 in September September 11, 1893, the interreligious movement started in Chicago, and Swami Vivekananda was uh, a very important part of that movement. I feel that it is a responsibility of students of Vedanta, followers of Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda, to participate in this uh, movement, to learn and also to share, and to Spread the message, <coughs> as many faiths, so many paths. We have so many beautiful parables in the teachings of Sri Ramakrishna and the example of Sri Ramakrishna himself who practiced different religions. And by sharing these ideas, we can help people of other faiths also to expand. And we ourselves will expand our minds and our hearts. There's a joy of sharing with real seekers. When we find real seekers, real seekers of God, maybe they're practicing in other religions, still there's a joy, there's a special joy in meeting with them.
So I'd like to close with uh, another quote from Swami Vivekananda and a beautiful expression of acceptance of other religions and also uh, opening his heart to the future. He says that uh, are all the religions finished or maybe there are still religions to come. He says, I accept all religions that were in the past and worship with them all. I worship God with every one of them in whatever form they worship him. I shall go to the mosque of the Mohammedan. I shall enter the Christian's church and kneel before the crucifix. I shall enter the Buddhistic temple where I shall take refuge in Buddha and in his law. I shall go into the forest and sit down in meditation with the Hindu who is trying to see the light which enlightens the heart of everyone. Not only shall I do all these, but I shall keep my heart open for all that may come in the future. Is God's book finished? Or is it still a continuous revelation going on? It is a marvelous book, these spiritual revelations of the world, the Bible, the Vedas, the Quran, and all other sacred books are but so many pages, and an infinite number of pages remain yet to be unfolded. I would leave it open for all of them. We stand in the present, but open ourselves to the infinite future. We take in all that has been in the past, enjoy the light of the present, and open every window of the heart for all that will come in the future. Salutation to all the prophets of the past, to all the great ones of the present, and to all that are to come in the future. Om Samano Mantra Samiti Samani Samanamana Sahachittamesham Samanam Mantra Mavi Mantra Yeva Samane Navo Havishajuhomi Samane Vaakuti Samana Hridayani Vaha Samanamastu Vomano Yatava Susahasati Om Shanti 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 Common be your prayer, common be your end, common be your purpose, common be your deliberation, common be your desires, unified be your hearts, united be your intentions, perfect be the union amongst you. Om peace, peace, peace. This prayer, incidentally, forms the very end of the Rig Veda Samhita, the very last two mantras of the Rig Veda are this beautiful prayer for harmony and unity.